the cast on Scandal was so great, but they also were funny because, you know, they didn't find out the storylines until the table read. So mm-hmm. if I was writing the next episode, sometimes I would have to hide <laughs> because uh, they wanted to know what was going to happen. Right. Um, so, so there were times where I had to write some scenes occasionally and I'd be like, let me go to, you know, some side room somewhere. Um, That's and just, awesome. I'll, yeah, I'll just, I'll tell the AD where I am in case someone was looking for me. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I did, get, I, I was kind of trained to write you know, anywhere. There was one time I had to write a scene in Shonda's office, actually, because, you know, she just, she wanted it pretty quickly. And she's like, oh, you could just, and she's, I mean, to her, she's like, oh, just like sit here and write it. And I was like, yeah. whoa. And you're like, I am not hitting the keys fast enough. She's going to be I like, know. she can't type. She's, that's like 10 <laughs> words a minute. I know, I know. And I was like, oh my God, this is so stressful. But, um, so yeah, I, I went through those growing pains. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. The Director is Pete Chapman's digital studio, built on the pillars of craftsmanship that ensure a unique vision. I'm talking about story, innovation, perspective. Learn more about the director, and better yet, get your official director's chair wear by visiting www.drctr.video. That's drctr.video. All right, what's up, people? This is Pete Chapman welcoming you to episode 18 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman and our uh, esteemed guest for this episode is the writer and producer Ramla Muhammad. Uh, Ramla got her start in the Shondaland world. Uh, she came out of LA via, came out of New York via LA. You know, people bounce around between the coasts um, and she made her way into the Disney ABC writing program and uh, landed in that Shondaland family. And from there was able to right, 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 and get to the place where, as of uh, most recent, her project uh, that you're probably familiar with was Little Fires Everywhere. And uh, she served as a co-EP on Little Fires Everywhere and wrote an episode, as well as uh, provided a great deal of creative input, which we'll get into in our conversation here. before we dive in, though, I just want to keep y'all posted. It's been a, a, a nice, busy week. Uh, behind the scenes, we've been working on a narrative podcast that I anticipate will drop as episode 20 of the Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman podcast. But it will be a bit of an exclusive because it'll be a it won't be an interview. It'll be a creative project that was written uh, by myself and Candace Sanchez McFarland, directed by me. Uh, and it's a 2020 election podcast exclusive. So uh, I'll leave you with that. We'll dive into this beautiful conversation with writer, producer, Ramla Muhammad, and I will catch you after the jump. Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. Action. So uh, welcoming Ramla Muhammad to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. 
Thank you um, for having me. <laughs> so I'd love to find out a little more about the, the milestones in your life. Uh, tell me about Julie Crawford. Oh, wow. You, you did your homework. <laughs> um, well, Julie Crawford was my uh, fresh, college freshman professor at Columbia. And she, was, she taught this class called a Literature Humanities, which they called Lit Hum. Um, and I'm glad it was you interesting. cleared that up because I didn't know what that meant when I, when oh, I came across it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, they call it, it's short for Lit Hum. And at Columbia, um, you, everyone has to take what they call the core curriculum, which are a bunch of specific classes like art history and music history. And, um, and it's kind of great because every freshman is kind of taking the same classes, but everyone has different teachers. So they divide the classes into like small classes of, you know, 18 to 20 students. And Julie Crawford was my professor. And, you know, I had gone to a predominantly white school in high school and, and even junior high. Um, and so Julie kind of introduced us to not only just the classics of Aristotle, Plato, you know, these these mandatory works, but then we were able to read, you know, Toni Morrison, Franz mm. Fanon, and she really got me into kind of critical thinking and also literature in a way that I actually was an economics major and changed my major to English freshman year uh, because I was so um, into literature at the time. Did did you read the poetics? Yes, yes, yeah. I, I think that's kind of a a requirement <laughs> for writers to read. I don't even think I read it in college. I think I read it after college. I, f I feel like some writer told me, you know, you should read Aristotle's poetics. Right. You know, are there are there things because in, as a director, there's like all these films that. I imagine it's changed now as people enter the industry in different ways. But are there like a bunch, like four, like a canon or like a, a handful of books that you're expected to have read, uh, whether it's a textbook or a, or a novel as a writer? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think I know like, you know, Robert McKee's story is a, mm -hmm. a book that, you know, that writers read. Um, I actually like Save the Cat. Those those books, um, those are good. I I prefer actually. There's a save the cat goes to the movies, which actually uh -huh. um, takes the elements and theories of save the cat, but then applies it to to movies you're familiar with. So mm -hmm. it's you're like, oh, okay, this is that you know Dark Knight of the Soul moment in this movie, and um, and then it, it talks about like different genres and how the kind of breaking down that applies to different genres. So I I find that book helpful. Um, right. but you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, besides, besides those books and other te textbooks, I'm trying to think of, oh, um, Sydney Le Lemaitre's, uh, Making Movies. Making I Movies. Yeah. 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 That's a great book. Um, I mean, even um, as just, I just think it's a, a fascinating and interesting, uh, just to hear his career and kind of experience as a filmmaker, even though I'm, you know, I, I think of myself as purely a writer, not like a writer mm -hmm. director, but, um, but I, I feel like that's a really good book. And, um, yeah, I, th I think those are the, the books that when I think of that have helped me right. in my career. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it, they're very helpful in demystifying the process. And I've, i people laugh at Save the Cat, but I feel like that was the book that mentioned as an example, um, 
Sea of Love with Al Pacino and how oh. there's the moment where he's like going to capture, they set up a sting operation and they're mm -hmm. trying to capture these criminals and they have a Yankee autograph signing thing. And the guy comes with um, his kid and he mm -hmm. knows Pacino's a cop. He sees that this is a setup and Pacino doesn't arrest him there because he's with his son. And mm. then he, I think he looks at him and says, I'll catch you later. And because oh, yeah. of that, you're you're like, OK, he's a good guy. You know, right, he, right, um, right. And the yeah, saving those of the cat. Those defining, yeah, the defining scene, you know, the what they call it, like, the defining scenes or, you know, those scenes that define who a character is and tells you a lot about a character. Um, right. You know, are very important, but also sometimes difficult when you're crafting the story. Yourself. Right. Yeah, and I and I, I think too to what you said about uh, you you fancy yourself a writer. I, I I feel like the best scripts, and I'm sure yours fall in this category. They are written with underlying direction, mm. right? Like like right. even like if you say the apple falls off the desk, you're telling me close up. You know what right, I mean? And right, so there's right, there's right. like a there's like a nice nuanced. Um, way of communicating that, which then gets passed to us. And then we kind of try and delicately pass it on to the cinematographer. Right, <laughs> right, we, right. You, you know, right. so it's a, it's a nice dance. So you, that was at Columbia, Julie Crawford and Lit Hum. Um, Lit Hum, yeah. Lit Hum. But you, yeah. you grew up in LA. And oh, yeah, so I'm from LA, yeah. What was, what was that like? Well, I mean, I grew up in L.A. like, you know, during the height of East Coast, West Coast, mm. <laughs> you know, uh, beef and the L.A. riots and O.J. So, you know, Boys in the Hood, Minutes of Society, mm. all those times were were times where basically L.A. was kind of getting put on the map, you know, in some ways. And I grew up in the, you know, Office Lawson and La Brea. So I, I really am like from LA, LA. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, I grew up in an area called Windsor Hills, which is a predominantly black area. Uh, but then I went to high school and junior high in Brentwood. So, uh, and I went there during the OJ trial, essentially. Wow. So it was a very interesting experience. I actually didn't even know where Brentwood was when my mom told me we were going to go look at a school called Brentwood. I was like, where is that? She was like, in Brentwood. I was like, well, mm. that's not really helpful. <laughs> but then the OJ thing happened. And of course, everyone knew where Brentwood was. Um, but it was interesting because I feel like even though, you know, obviously people think of LA as like Hollywood and all this stuff. I mean, I basically did what I think most teenagers did, which was go to the movies, go to the mall, hang out with my friends. Um, you know, L.A. is a pretty suburban place. My mom was a court reporter. You know, my friend's parents were either like, you know, doctors, teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, occasionally there'd be some celebrity sighting or something. But I really did not feel, you know, going, getting into the industry, as I call it. I didn't feel like I had any kind of leg up or anything just being from here. I felt like probably most transplants feel, you know, I had to work my way up as an assistant and, make my right. own connections um, because I really didn't know a lot of people. Did you feel a, um, <clears throat> I don't think disconnect is the word. Let me rephrase a question that I've not phrased yet, but did, <laughs> did you, did you kind of just, did you not imagine entertainment as a career? 
you know, or, oh, or did you? Yeah, no, no, I, I didn't. I actually, you know, I think the, the kids now growing up are so lucky because the internet and, um, you know, has more access to mm-hmm. understanding what a writer does, a director, a showrunner. Um, there's more people who look like us, even though we have, you know, mm-hmm. some ways to go. Um, there are at least some examples. So I didn't know, you know, what a TV writer was. I remember once I sat on, I was on the plane and I sat next to this guy who worked on King of Queens and he said he was a writer. And I was like, uh, like I, I was putting it together like, oh, right. I guess someone has to write what they say. <laughs> um, but, you know, I I think when I was in college and I was thinking about film and and TV or I, I guess I I thought I'd either be like some kind of film critic. I'd be, you know, mm. on one of those VH1 shows you know, talking about, you know, what was, what Spike Lee was thinking and do the right thing or whatever. Um, But that was, that was really kind of, I guess, critical studies or media studies was what I was interested in because I just figured I could go to school for that. I didn't, I didn't know how to become a writer. So yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't think about it until I ended up going to grad school at, you know, USC for TV and film. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I can do this. Do you recall the moment or uh, like the first story that had an impact on you? Yes, I remember. So I, the summer before my senior year of high school, I took this film class in Oxford, at Oxford in England. And I was there for a month and we watched Do the Right Thing. And I had seen Do the Right Thing. I think my mom didn't really want me to see it when I was younger Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you know, there's some sexual stuff in it, but, um, I finally, I finally watched it, you know, at at age appropriate. And I just, I don't know, we were talking about it in class and it just, I just got every part of it. (laughs) You know, I just understood it. And it was the first time I realized like, oh, like I really understand the story and what it's trying to say and its impact. Yeah, you know, I, I we're gonna have to get Spike on here because I've <laughs> I've mentioned that uh, film. Seath Mann was on, mentioned it. You, uh, like, any anybody uh, really black of a certain age? That was the entry point. That was the like north star. That was the like the kind of you know injection into your bloodstream of like oh, people do this, right. you know, and 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 maybe I can. You know, um, which is crazy because it's such a fucking crazy idea to just say, I'm going to go be a director. But like all you need is that one thing, you know, like it's like the first time you see uh, anything, you're like, oh, well, they did it. Perhaps I can do it, which is why we need more people in in positions of uh, power and creative uh, authority, you know. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, and I think, I I think there was just, I I think also in that time, there just was something about, you know, just, it was artful, you know, it wasn't just, Mm -hmm. you know, a movie that, um, you know, with black people in it, it just, it, it just, you could tell just the way it was shot, the way it was different, you know, it it was it. So I I think that's also part of, part of why it, it spoke to me. And I think a lot of us. Right. Yeah, that was an interesting time overall, too, because you mentioned the type of hip hop that was happening in L.A. And, you know, it was it seemed like the art that was coming out of the black community was and I hate to sound elitist, but it was art. 
you know, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, you could have you could have a tribe called Quest, you could have the X Clan, you could have Public Enemy, you could have LL Cool J, you could have NWA, you could have all these like different entry points into the mind of the black male because at that point it was male dominated even more than it is now. Right. But um, then it kind of became about partying and, and other things. And I often wonder who who's behind those pivots. Right. Is it the artist or is it the people signing the artist and changing the message that gets out there? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, I, I also wonder, you know, just in general in art, you think about how, um, you know, there are times of darkness. And I think in the kind of late 80s, you know, early 90s, there was so much, you know, black trauma from, you know, crack cocaine and poverty and recession and all these things, um, you know, increase in, you know, incarceration, you know, all these things that were happening. And I just always wonder, like, by the mid 90s, when, you know, black people were becoming, you know, more entrepreneurs, more successful, that maybe there was just a response in the music and the art to just mm. have this lightness and more fun, you know, right. um, just because the trauma has was so real and so um, lasting, I guess right. you could say. And then you and then, you know, then, and then I think things shift again, you know, things um, things turn as you see, you know, now where. You know the the trauma is you know the trauma's always been there obviously but it, it's just it's interesting to see like what that relationship with you know art and our you know personal struggles how that how that ends right. up you know on screen or in music is that what um when you sit down and write like what who do you, who do you write for uh, I mean I I write for black women mostly you know mm-hmm. because. I'm a black woman and, you know, and I also, I, that is, that is who I want to watch my shows, not just only, but, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of, that's what I love about, you know, like Insecure, you know, it's a show that I really do feel that is for a black woman, but also is specific and and, um, interesting enough that it invites kind of everyone in, in some ways. Right. I mean, the smaller you go, I feel the more universal it is. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the, it's kind of counterintuitive. But there's uh, I think of movies like um, oh, you ever see like Water for Chocolate? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and like you can't go more macro than that. Right. But like, right. I, like <laughs> right. I can watch that and say, oh, like I, I I'm here with you. Like it's real. Right. It's human. And it's just uh there's a universality, but the things that are different are what we listen to, how, what we eat, you know what I mean? Like the, right, right. the shit we experience is kind of, you know, nobody's going through something that other people have never seen. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, I, I always, you know, I think of, I, I also try to really get into my character's heads when I'm writing and think mm-hmm. about what is their logic and what where are they coming from? Where's their pain? What is their backstory? Because I think it informs so much just about people in general. Um, right. More than even sometimes people themselves realize, you know. Um, <laughs> but I also think it creates empathy because I, I never want to be like, oh, well, that character's crazy, you know, or that character's a villain or evil, you know, because 
that's not how people are. People operate in contradictions and complexities. And I think when you put that on screen, it feels more real and people can relate because, you know, in one instance, someone can be kind and the other instance, someone can be cutting. Um, And so I think that when people see themselves on screen, whether it's, you know, race or class or, you know, sexuality, whatever it is, or even just behavior, you know, I think people can connect more to, you know, what you're trying to do. Right. 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 Let's hop, let's, let's hop back to the, to the Columbia days and then, and then, (laughs) but, but like, kind of like pivot out because you, so you caught the English bug. Well, you Mm -hmm. you didn't even catch the bug, you know, but like you, you change your major (laughs) and then you graduate and you work for a theater company in, in, in New York. Um, What are you doing at that point? Um, Like, what's your target? Are you, are you thinking I'm going to be a writer? Are you like, just let me figure out post college life? Like, where were you? Well, so I, so I, so I, I declared English freshman year, but then junior year I added film studies. Um, So I became a double major. And um, even though my, you know, uh, the counselor told me I was never going to finish the film studies major, but I did. Um, And so I ended up working in theater. Honestly, I, my first job out of college was at Washington Mutual Home Loans as a a receptionist in Harlem. Okay. And the, and the office was on 125th street and my desk was at the window. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah. So it was a very interesting, I I probably could make a show just about that. But um, I mean, sadly, you know, my last name is Mohammed and I graduated in in 2003 and I was in New York and I, I, even though I had experience working, I couldn't really find a job. So because of a lot of the anti kind of Muslim, um, you know, backlash, what happened with September 11th. So I got, I worked at Washington Mutual Home Loans and then I ended up being, um, and getting this theater job at this a theater called 59E59 Theaters that was just starting up and they had three spaces and um, the executive producer needed an assistant. So I took that job and it was actually great because, um, I mean, it was a hard job, but that's kind of what got me into writing because I had to see all the shows and I got really into um, just the theater experience, like being there and meeting some of the playwrights. And, you know, there's something very... I don't know. And I still feel this way. There's something like very visceral about being in a theater and being with the actors and in their emotions. Um, And the words are really the thing that, that, you know, is the most important part of that. Mm -hmm. And so it it was really after working there, I decided to apply to, to grad school. And um, I applied to UCLA as well because they had like a, a theater program, but um, then I ultimately decided to go to USC and, you know, try my, try to do TV and film. Um, but that's really when I was like, oh, I think writing, like, I think maybe I, you know, want to get into writing. Right. What was the, uh, was there an eye-opening experience when you got into the MFA program? Um, because like, I, I, I often laugh about uh, in undergrad, cause I, I didn't, I didn't go to the higher levels of education. Um, <laughs> you say you saved a lot of money, I guess. <laughs> but I remember the first, uh, oh man, I don't even remember the class, but 
we were, uh, let's say we had a Monday class and then Wednesday we met again or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, we were supposed to read the whole book. You know, like I, I read like three chapters. I thought I was doing something there. Like, no, you're supposed to have read the entire book. Is there is there any like thing that kind of surprised you in 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 the graduate level screenwriting and TV writing pursuit? Yeah, I mean, yeah. What surprised me is that we we didn't just take writing classes. Like, we had to take an acting class. We had to take an editing class, production. And I was like, uh, <laughs> what? You know. Um, and I remember I had this acting teacher, um, Nina Foch, who's no longer with us, but she was this um, older woman. She'd been an actress and teaching for so long, and she looked like she was kind of like frail and very sweet. But she, I mean, if you showed up and you didn't know what was what, I mean, she had no problem telling you. <laughs> and she right. would say it in such a sweet face. So I, so I literally, I mean, every, before every class, I felt like physically ill because I was scared of what, you know, she may say to you. And, and even if she liked something, she might go, good, good. Like that was kind of the, uh -huh. <laughs> the most uh -huh. you would get. Um, so I, but, but I also learned a lot because we had to learn about, you know, intentions and it did help me in the, in the writing to think like an actor. Um, mm -hmm. but yes, that was when I, th when I was in that class I, and that was the first semester, I thought I have made a giant mistake. I don't know why they accepted me into this program. I am a fraud. It's not going to work out. So yeah, no, I, I hear you on You're you're like, you're like someone, someone like Switch things <laughs> accidentally or something. <laughs> I don't know what my this is my bizarro ver the bizarro version of me has arrived. The, yeah. <laughs> what is um is that a two year program or three year? How long does it run? Two two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you graduate with like a, a script, and then like the industry just like hires you up, and you get right to work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All that happened, clearly. Um, no, I, I graduated, didn't like work, didn't find entertainment job for a year. Um, I had worked at Fox Searchlight when I was um, in grad school as an intern, but unfortunately I wasn't, they didn't, they only had intern positions, so I wasn't able to stay on, even though I really did like working there. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it was really a whole year. I kind of just took odd jobs, I babysat. Um, I wish Uber had been around because I definitely would have Ubered. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I just was kind of struggling until I got, I had a friend who I went to grad school with who heard about an opening as a writer's PA on Grey's Anatomy. Um, and so I applied for that and interviewed and, and thankfully got that job. So that was my first, inter you know, job in, in TV. Right. And so what did you do as a writer's assistant? I actually want to kind of get into that a little bit as well. Like the, from my understanding, it seems like there's a very clear progression through uh, credits and, and, and levels in, in for writers as dictated mm -hmm. by the guild. Um, how does that move? Like you go from writer's assistant to what and how do you end up uh, like... Shonda Rhimes, if you go through every step. <laughs> right. Um, well, I start, I start off as a writer's PA. So the writer's PA gets the lunch and coffee and, you know, for the writers and makes copies of scripts and stuff like that. Um, and then the next level above that is writer's assistant. And the writer's assistant is actually in the room 
taking notes as the writers talk and, you know, at times they might get a script, you know, a freelance script, which is a, you know, great opportunity. And then after writer's assistant, usually if you get a script and you do pretty well, you know, you'll get promoted to staff writer. And then... So by that you mean they'll, they'll say, here, this episode of Grey's Anatomy is yours, Ramla, and yeah. go write it from an outline Yeah, well, you, you know, you'll, you'll be, yeah, you'll be in the room. They'll help you break it. You know, they know you're you know, kind of a baby writer, as they call you. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go off and, you know, write it. And honestly, I think, you know, I mean, I I think for the most part, even if you get rewritten, because everyone's going to get rewritten, um, right. if you just turn in a, a kind of a solid script as a either writer's assist, assistant or a staff writer, then you have a pretty good chance of staying on. Um, mm. Just because the expectation is, the showrunner really just wants, you know, a script that they can work with you know, versus kind of have to re-break or page one rewrite, Um, even if they end up changing every word of dialogue, but, you know, at least the spirit of what you wrote is there, then that's considered a pretty, you know, pretty good look. So, um, so yeah, so I think, um, yeah, so there's, yeah, so staff writer and then story editor and then executive story editor and then co-producer, then Mm -hmm. producer then supervising okay. producer, then co-executive producer, <laughs> and then executive producer. Those are the, the Now, steps. are there really big fundamental differences in what you're doing with each of those uh, uh, elevations in title? No, yeah, you're still a writer. It's just, it's really about the expectations. So the mm-hmm. expectations of a, you know, that the showrunner has of a staff writer are much different than their co-executive producer. You know, the, the co-executive producer is expected to pretty much have a pretty strong voice in the room, sometimes, you know, lead room discussions, um, probably, you know, be, you know, copied on emails or hand, handle situations that may come up that the showrunner can't do. Um, So those are the main, those are the main differences. And then, you know, if you're in the middle, then you may be covering set, you know, at times. And again, maybe writing a little more, um, Mm -hmm. maybe get a couple more episodes. Um, It really depends on the showrunner. You know, I've been in rooms where some, some showrunners don't really care about who's, what level anyone is. They just want everyone to contribute. And then I've been in other rooms where it really does kind of matter, um, but mm-hmm. also, you know, you get paid more for every step. So, you right. know, like anything, the more they pay you, <laughs> the more they expect you, you know, right. to come through, basically. So, And once you achieve a particular level, that's your level. Or, yeah, or can, I mean, you can't like be like a, 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 super, a supervising producer and then fall to like a staff writer on the next show. Or can you? No, yeah, I think that's pretty rare. Unless, you know, there are people who end up being like co-producers or producers who may be on the production side a little bit or, mm-hmm. um, and then if they want to start over and be writers, they may have to start at staff writer or story editor. Right. Um, but no, once you're, once you're at that level, um, you pretty much stay at that level. One thing I'm hoping changes that, you know, just in kind of these companies' commitment to diversity is that, you know, kind of black and brown writers don't have to repeat staff writer as much when mm. they change shows because a lot of times um, what they call diversity hires or diverse staff writers, the studio will pay for them. So sometimes the show right. will only want 
you know, a black or brown writer if they're free. And right. they instead of getting them as a story editor or, you know, executive story editor. So, and it's really problematic because you can be on four different shows. Let's say they're one season shows and right. you're still a story editor, a staff writer, even though you've done, I don't know, like 50 episodes of television or something. Right, um, right. Which is so, just yeah, that's, ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's mm. it's ridiculous. So that's the only part that I, in the promotion, you know, some, that story editor bump is very important um, right. so that you can kind of keep going. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that was that was an education for me and hopefully the audience. I was I've just always been interested in seeing and uh, learning more of the dynamics of how that operates. Um, and so. To continue from where we were, you were a writer's assistant on Grey's. I was a writer's PA. Writer's, writer's PA. PA. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you submitted for the Disney ABC Fellowship? Well, so I was a writer's PA on Grey's, and then Jenna Bands had a show called Off the Map, which Shondaland was producing. So she needed an assistant. So I became her assistant on the pilot for Off the Map. And then when Off the Map became a show, I became the, the medical researcher on Off the Map. And then right. Off the Map got canceled, but then Scandal got picked up. And Shonda asked me to fact check the Scandal pilot. So I did mm. the fact check the Scandal pilot. And then I became the researcher on Scandal um, when it was a show. But it only had seven episodes, which, you know, now is like, oh, like a cute little limited series. But at the time, right. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I need to pay my rent. Like, what's going to happen? Right. <laughs> so that's, I applied for the Disney program because, you know, the timing would work out. We'd be done with production in October. And if I got in, it would start, you know, in January. So I figured I could eat, you know, chips and cheese for a couple months right. until I, hopefully I got into the program. So I did the Disney ABC program as well for directors. And for that's us, right. yeah. it was a two-year thing um, mm. that... Our, I'm trying to remember because I did so many programs, but I feel like, uh, I feel like we, yeah, we only got paid while we were shadowing on a show. Oh, so, I see. So like you, and there was no guarantee that you even would for your duration of the program. It was really a matter of did they, did the showrunners respond to your materials? And uh, mm. so I, sh- I shadowed Grays and, and um, Blackish. But for okay. the writers, were you you were were you guaranteed um, something over that term? Yeah. So our yeah our program was a year, and we were paid like you know the whole year. Nice. Um. I mean, I actually. I mean, I I I think I've told this story, but I um the the Friday we got paid on a Saturday like the first week of the program and the Friday before I had six dollars in my bank account <laughs> and I was like well good thing this worked out um right so yeah I we 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 got paid and then what happened once you got on a show the only downside to that is once you get on a show you're still you're not paid as a staff writer you know mm-hmm. salary you're paid you know through the Disney program so, you know, I mean, it's, again, I was happy to be in the program and given the opportunity to, you know, be able to come on, come back to Scandal as a writer. But right. at the same time, you know, the Disney salary is about, you know, I don't know, <laughs> a, th- a third of the staff writer, you know, if you were just a staff writer salary. Right. So, um, so, you know, obviously it worked out, but, um, but I guess that's kind of the trade off right. a little bit. 
So from there, uh, researcher from one show mm -hmm. to the next. And then how did you uh, transition to being a writer on Scandal? So I, so I let, we were done with production. I went, I got into the Disney program. I did the Disney program. And then I actually came back. I went to Gray's Anatomy for a few months it, while I was in the program. And even though it's hard to believe, Scandal was kind of an on the bubble show. So mm. we didn't know if we were going to come back for season two. And so if, if we hadn't come back, back, I would have stayed on Gray's Anatomy as a writer um, but the show came back, and so then I went to Scandal um, as a writer, and I got um, to write episode five of season two, and um, and we only had thirteen episodes at the at that time. We hadn't gotten the back nine, so right. I was kind of like, "Well, I'll have a credit, I'll get health insurance, <laughs> you know, I, I can join the guild, you know, I, 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 you know, that was pretty much what it was." And then Oprah tweeted about it, and then the show mm. was. <laughs> like a giant hit. So. And there you have it. And there isn't you have it, so, it, yeah. Isn't it so amazing though? And, and and it's important to remember and appreciate those moments when you're like, man, I gotta get, I just gotta get one episode. Yeah. <sighs> and, and you know, yeah. and then like, when the things start to turn, it becomes in, in, imperative or it, it's impressed upon you to to maintain that same like, uh, I don't even know the adjective. It's not like, like hustle and excitement. Like, yeah, like. hustle and like and you know because now like for, like I'm sure for you like you have a lot of things on the burner that we'll talk about. But like there's you know for me there's a point where you're like oh these two shows want you to do a couple episodes oh cool thanks you know and right, like <laughs> right, right, right. and before you were like hey, will they even meet with me? So <laughs> right no I mean yes for sure I mean I. You know, honestly, though, I do try to remember that and that feeling and that hustle in order mm -hmm. to just keep me going, just because, you know, I know that it's easy to get become like complacent. And, you know, even when I was on Scandal for, you know, many years, you're like, oh, the show's coming back, it's coming back. And, you know, mm -hmm. I remember what happened with Two and a Half Men, you know, um, and I and I think about this idea where people on this hit show and... They're like, you know, oh, you know, I'm good. I don't have to think about anything else, you know. Right. And then the show, you know, like, you know, Charlie Sheen, you know, get, goes crazy. And then, you know, they cancel the rest of the season of, of a like 24 episode show. You right. know, that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's, you know, very devastating. So, again, we're not in control of what could happen. And so right. all I do, I try to to make sure that I you know, kind of throw a lot into the fire um, yeah. because you just never know what's going to happen. Things that seem like sure things, you know, didn't pan out the way that I thought and things that I kind of was like, oh, maybe. And then that's the one that, you know, is mm -hmm. hit. So I try to keep that in mind when I'm thinking about choosing things and what I'm working on. Right, right. And and when you talk about, you were mentioning the the unique kind of culture of every room based off of the showrunner. Um, and you wrote the big scandal, how to get away with murder crossover episode that everybody was waiting for. <laughs> how, how did that end up in that particular case? How did that end up in your hands? Is it like luck of the draw or is it like Ramla best handles these themes like what you know what I mean 
Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, so I had, um, our showrunner at the time was Mark Fish and, um, in season seven. And I went to him, uh, in the beginning of the season and I said, I, I'd like, you know, I, I like that my episodes, since this is the last season of the show, I'd really like if my episodes were directed by black directors. So that was kind of what I wanted. And he was like, okay, so, um, the first episode that of that season was uh, going to be, I think, some other episode. But anyway, then he came to me and said, so I know that you said you wanted, you know, to have a black director, but, you know, we we want you to write the, you know, crossover episode for How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal. And he was like, you know, I it's not, it's not gonna be a black director, but you know, and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll do that. That's okay. I was like, that's real black. So, you know, I, I, I approve that. Um, so yeah, so it was very exciting. Um, and you know, to Tony Goldwyn actually directed it and I, to, I will give him credit. You know, we had like black hair meetings cause there was a black hair salon mm-hmm. scene and he really wanted to understand. I was pretty specific about, what each woman's hair was going to be, you know. Um, and, you know, he sat in the meetings and he wanted to understand, like, how a weave is, what the wig is, and all this stuff. Um, right. So it was really exciting because I was a fan of both shows. So it was, right. you know, it was, it was fun to kind of see how these two women were going to, um, you know, were going to interact. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's how that kind of came about. This is Barry Alexander Brown, and you're listening to Let's shoot with Pete Chapman. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is Pete Chapman's upcoming book about his journey as a director. What started in 1993 has been a marathon full of persistence and creative pivots, transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him his start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration, this book will be for any person eyeing a successful career in a creative art. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is coming soon. So I have a question that lies underneath all of these milestones. And you just being in the room does not mean you, you move up the ladder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and no disrespect, but like you could probably look at the people that were in the program with you. And I would assume that not all of them have had the same level of success as you've had. Um, what could you share about navigating those rooms that's important for people to understand so you can continue to build a career? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, I think for me, I really, I think you really have to know yourself and know what your strengths are. Um, you know, I, I was a, I was a fan of Scandal. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I really love the show. And so for me, I would, I kind of approached it as a fan and also a student mm-hmm. because you know, I was like, okay, my, my, the qualities that I'm good at are, you know, being a dork and also like being a fan. <laughs> so I was like, I'm, I'm like, a, I'm, I'm a student, you know, I like to study things and watch things and read things. So I would read the scripts, 
you know, I look at the changes, especially when I was a baby writer, look at the changes that either Shonda or, you know, our showrunner would make and, and try to see what was changed and why. Um, mm. When I was on set, I would talk to the directors and ask them about, you know, their choices, you know, not, not questioning them, but just really trying to understand and learn, you know, mm. what this learning, what the line, <laughs> like the difference between why you cross the line here, why you don't cross the line. Right. Um, and that actually helped me in writing to understand like how something's shot and, and when you write something a certain way, what someone like you, like as a director, what that, what that tells you, what are the, um, you know, how you interpret that. Um, and I also, you know, I'd watch the cuts and I'd see what shots were, ch were chosen so that once I went on set, I could be like, oh, well, I notice we stay pretty far wide until, mm. you know, later, or I, I can, you know, I, I, I think Shonda looks like she likes kind of, you know, one take things if you can, you know, work it out. So then right. at least I was informed and I would be like, oh, well, like, oh, you want to get this coverage? We'll never use a shot <laughs> because right. I, every time I watch the cuts, they just keep getting cut out, cut out, cut out. Right. Um, so just stuff like that. And also, um, you know, rewatching episodes so that I could be in the room and I could say, well, this is kind of similar to what we did in episode 307 or whatever, or you know, I'd read and watch the news and be like, oh, I read this article about this. So mm -hmm. all of that was, that's what I could contribute until I felt comfortable pitching in the room. Cause I really, it was really a struggle for me, really the first couple of years pitching hmm. in the room. I, I was in my head a lot. I, you know, might come up with an idea, but I didn't really pitch it right, you know? Right. Um, and then someone else would pitch it and I'd be like, I just pitched that. But you know, it's, it's like, I just didn't, I didn't say it in a way that was appealing, you know? Right. Um, so, so yeah, so, so I, that was, I worked on what my strengths were and those are my strengths right. and also working really hard. We had these um, things called addendums um, that uh, are basically the, what plays underneath, um, you know, like when people are in a scene, like the news or the TV is on. Uh, okay. So, so, you know, someone has to write that. And I'm sure you've probably shot stuff like that, you know, like the reporters or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and no one wants to write that because it doesn't get heard <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, it's annoying. But I would, I would write them. I would like, I, I wrote sometimes pages. Sometimes we needed like a monologue underneath and I'd be like, I'll just write it. Um, and it also, you know, it was a way that my boss could see you know, my writing in mm -hmm. kind of a non sequitur way. Um, so yeah, so that was early on how I kind of, you know, approached it. And then time, a lot right. of it is just time, time happens. I'm sure that happens. Same with the directing. You just, it right. just things become more second nature. So pitching became more second nature and mm -hmm. writing became more second nature. Um, and you just, I just had to give myself the time. But I love that. I love the like, like in any room, right? And and because I feel the same, right? That's why I'm asking. Like I feel like the same. Like I go from show to show, right? And it, mm -hmm. and there's this interesting thing where I'm like director, but like you know, every show is different, and sometimes they're like, "Yo, how are we shooting it?" You know, and right. then other times <laughs> right, they're right. like, "I don't want to do that," you know. Right, and so right. like you're you're doing that dance, but it it sounds like. Um, as I'm like listening to the journey, it sounds like the, the, the teacher you mentioned at USC with the acting class mm -hmm. was doing that to get people to begin to know themselves. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And because once you know yourself, you can come in there and be confident about what you say. Um, right. And, and, and it also sounds like you were a resource that made people's lives easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and, know, and that's what like, I tell people. I'm like, that's what the, sh- that's what the showrunner wants. They want, they have a lot of responsibilities, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of things to think about. So they want people who are going to make, yeah, make their lives easier. Right. Um, even if it's a small task to just take that on or handle something on set. You right. Know, um, it, you it never know. I did a, I did one show because I like every, every cut, I try something different. And I was like, I'm going to try and get really close to time just because... Mm. I don't care. Why not? Let's see. Right. And, right. and um, the showrunner was like, ah, oh, thank you. This is the least amount of editing I've ever had to do on an episode. And she was getting married. That made oh, her wow. day. Like that was like, wow. she got, she had other things that she could devote her time to. And yeah. like, even though that's got nothing to do with the job, technically mm-hmm. it's got everything to do with the job because, you know, we all just want to be able to exhale. Right, exactly. And she's 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 now remembers you as someone who made her life easier. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm assuming you made Carrie's life easier, and that would be Carrie Washington. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, if, if we can hop out on a limb, um, how did how did you guys build, um, or how did you move to the next projects? Because I know you you've got uh, reasonable doubt. Right. Mm-hmm. A, a legal yeah. drama and development. And then obviously the three Emmy or multiple Emmy <laughs> nominated Little Fires Everywhere. Um, how did you guys kind of transition to, uh, you know, more of a partnership on those projects? Um, you know, it's interesting because so so Carrie and I, I mean, we've been working together for a while, but, um, you know, I I think on the during the crossover, you know, she and I, you know, kind of talked a little more about, you know, that storyline and everything. And then. Oddly enough, but we there was like a writer dinner, um, and you know she pulled me aside. It was like our last kind of writer actor dinner, and um, she pulled me aside and she's like, "I'm doing this project, Little Fires Everywhere," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, congratulations!" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah." Anyway, I want you to be in the room. And I was like, "I was like what?" <laughs> um, and I hadn't even you know scandal was ending, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I had this you know project with Issa Rae, and you know I was like, "Okay, I'll do that," and. Um, had another um like you know movie that was in development at universal so you know i was like okay like you know good and you know Did you so say Carrie's- you know i'm a co-ep now <laughs> well, I, was, <laughs> I was i was i was actually i was technically i was a supervising producer then so i was like tr- you know trying to get my way into co-ep land but you know to carrie's credit people say a lot of things, obviously, you know, in this business, people talk, say, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, whatever, whatever. But she, she did it. I mean, she, she connected me with Liz Tigelar, the showrunner. She, you know, talked to Hulu. She talked to ABC. I mean, she really, and you know, the thing is, I'd never heard this from her. I I heard this from other people. She didn't Hmm. even, you know what I mean? She's not even the type of person to be like, I did this for you, you know? Right. Um, She just, she just said, this is what, you know, I want you to be in the room. And then I was in the room and she's like, hi, (laughs) like she didn't. And, but it was, it was so, you know, it was great to, you know, already know her going into the project just because, you know, she's so great and know that there was someone who was smart and like kind. Right. 
on a project because you know you never know what's going to happen um (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and then i ended up staying on for production which was great and um is that not a normal thing it would do do the writer or co-ep duties often end or occasionally end when the scripts are done well yeah i think in like cable or streaming you know because we write things and they shoot things unlike scandal or you know other shows where you're writing and shooting at the same time um but um, but yeah, Liz, Liz Tigelar, the showrunner and creator, she stayed on and then she kept uh, me and another co-EP on, uh, for the shooting. And then the other writers, you know, don't stay on. Um, right. so yeah, so I was, I was happy to be able to stay on and really, you know, be able to kind of be on set for the Mia and, and Pearl, you know, scenes and, right. you know, and, and Which also great. get to... Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm an I'm an only child, a single mom, and mm. um, and so that storyline was really important to me because um, I think it's such an interesting, complex relationship. Right. Um, and then and then also, you know, like I it was I I you know the the you know kind of edges scene that we did, you know, with her, you know, smoothing her edges down. It was great right. because you know Carrie's a hair person. You know, she's this you know black woman who you know i was like i she had the pro style and all the specific you know uh, i was like i want to see the i want to see the brown gel right. and the toothbrush you know and the director right. at michael weaver i was i was like i want to see the edges really right. you know right. so it was, right. it was good because it was even though it was a you know some people might be like oh that's just the eighth of a page you know mm-hmm. whatever like quick I, I was glad that there was care taking into it because it was something at the moment that was important Right. And I mean, but in those are th- that is character, you know, mm-hmm. you like like you even talk about uh, you mentioned insecure. And th- I like there was this one moment in, in the pre- in the most recent season where uh, her cousin is at uh, he's eating like Jamaican food <laughs> somewhere. And like the whole time on the phone, he's like and he's wiping his nose. And I'm like, that's real. That's real. Right, shit. right. The, like, the, yeah, the hot, the hot just the, making you just drip. Yeah, just making you drip. I'm like, man, that's real. You know? And, yeah, and yeah. even if you don't get it, like there's there are people for whom that is like that is a, an affirmation right. of of what you eat, but also who you are. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's that's so important to to defend that. Yeah, no, it's, that gets it's, it's true. Lost. It's um, true. It, it it really is true. Just to have you know, and and it and you know, little fires, you know, showed me that it's important to have not just diversity in the writers' room, but also mm-hmm. on set and you know, in post production. You know, right. does someone go, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, that's that's a moment. Like we need to, you know, make sure we have that. So right. it makes a difference. Is there anything from your time as a researcher that you found uniquely positioned you or, 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 or helped you in taking a book to the screen? Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I guess I haven't really thought about it, but yeah, because you do have to, you know, you take articles or different stories that you read and, mm-hmm. you know, you do take the parts that are, you know, kind of in- interestingly, most interesting um, dramatically. Um, because there are a lot of things, even there are a lot of things in the book on Little Fires that we all loved. 
But, you know, when you're thinking about translating it to screen, it just doesn't work or it needs to be simplified or it needs to be expanded because, um, you know, we have, you know, eight episodes. Um, Right. So I do think, I remember we, when I was a researcher on Scandal, uh, the writers were talking about kind of breaking the fits and an intern storyline. And one thing that I found, you know, Sean had asked, like, how did, like, how did the Monica Lewinsky, you know, scandal, like, how did it break? And when I researched it, you know, you think like, oh, okay, you know, you're like, oh, some bloggers, you know, um, the blogger, I forgot now what the the blogger was. Oh, Drudge. Drudge, yeah, you're like, Drudge broke it. You're like, oh, you're like, oh, in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I think it was a blogger broke it. But then when I researched and looked, it was like, no, the blogger actually broke the story that Newsweek had killed the story. Mm. So it was like this very interesting thing where, you know, kind of highbrow media had, Mm. you know, said this isn't really newsworthy. And then kind of what now I guess would be somewhat lowbrow, you know, media media that didn't need as much fact checking or was like, no, the the story isn't the intern story. The story, I got a story about why did Newsweek kill this story about this intern um, so we kind of, you know, use that because that's that's interesting because then it was like Olivia Pope can kill one story. But uh-huh. now we have someone who's like, you can't ki- you can't kill the fact that you killed it's the story. Like, it's like whack-a-mole, right? <laughs> right. Like it, it just exactly. keeps coming up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was part of dramatically like, oh, that's an interesting turn because you can give Olivia a win, um, you know, but then have a twist where someone's like. Right. Why are you involved in the story? Like the, just the mere fact that you're involved in the story is a story. Right. Um, right. So anyway, just that those kind of moments I think are, are helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a different, it's a different, it's a bit of a different beast. I'm sure. Yes. And, yeah. and, and just making sure you maintain the integrity of the book, but mm-hmm. also maintain the integrity of what an audience is going to need who is who may not be have any allegiance to the book also you right know? exactly yeah and and also I mean you know in the book you know Mia's character isn't specified as being black or a person of color so right. obviously once Carrie was cast you know the story of Mia working for Elena and you know Reese Witherspoon's character is like what now we're gonna have to address some things <laughs> you mm-hmm. know right, about right. this you know this black woman and these this white woman fighting and the racial elements you know things need to kind of be kind of change a bit so you know that was a challenge too I mean a good challenge I liked adding that element to the show I think it really helped right right so we're we're turning the corner here I have a couple. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to classify these questions, but I'm just interested because I'm looking (laughs) for for those who are on the audio version of the podcast. uh, Ramla has books in her office, um, (laughs) which is which which screams to me writer. Um, But like (laughs) what's your ideal environment for writing? Um, You know, it's interesting. I. I do. I do like a desktop. I have. I have a like a, a desktop here. I. It's. It's great to be able to like see. Right. You know, like really like see the words close up. Um, but honestly, I think just. I will say the benefit of being on a show that has a bajillion episodes per season and is shooting and writing at the same time. 
I re- I mean, you could put me in a corner and I could write. Like I used to have to write on set sometimes and sometimes set was on location and was in right. a hot room, you know, and I had to, <laughs> you know, and I had, and, and also the, the cast, which was so, the cast on Scandal was so great, but they also were funny because, you know, they didn't find out the storylines until the table read. So mm-hmm. if I was writing the next episode, sometimes I would have to hide <laughs> because uh, they wanted to know what was going to happen. Right. Um, so so there were times where I had to write some scenes occasionally and I'd be like, let me go to, you know, some side room somewhere. Um, That's and just, awesome. I'll, yeah, I'll just I'll tell the AD where I am in case someone's looking for me. But uh, but yeah, so so I did. Get, I, I was kind of trained to write you know, anywhere. There was one time I had to write a scene in Shonda's office, actually, because, you know, she just, she wanted it pretty quickly. And she's like, oh, you could just, and she's, I mean, to her, she's like, oh, just like sit here and write it. And I was like, yeah. whoa. And you're like, I am not hitting the keys fast enough. She's going to be like, she can't type. She, that's like 10 words a minute. I know, I know. And I was like, oh my God, this is so stressful. But, um, so yeah, I, I went through those growing pains. Um, so now it's, I mean, it's good. I pretty much can, you know, right, right anywhere. But I don't think beforehand, mm-hmm. when I was a baby, when, even before I became a writer, when I was an assistant, just trying to write, it was like, okay, let me make sure I eat enough. Let me sit down and right. like, it has to be the right time. You know, then like an hour passes and I was like, and I'd be like, you know, I'm just not in the mood. And then I'd be like, right. ah, not tomorrow, you know, so. I, I need a, I need a new mouse pad. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Right. I'm, so, I'm, I'm looking, you know, I'm, I'm reading, you know, people fighting on Twitter, you know, for whatever, right. for 15 minutes. And I'm like, I don't even know these people. What am I doing? Um, right, right, right. So, so yeah, so it, I mean, it's, and obviously sometimes it happens. Sometimes I do find myself in shade room comments, you know, for mm-hmm. way too long, but you know, writers procrastination, that's, that's our it's, thing. It's your responsibility to be in the mix with what's going on. You exactly, know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but I used to write like this, this is a, is a kind of trick that I did that I feel like really helped when I was starting out is I would write for 45 minutes. So like mm-hmm. I start at the hour and I'd write like, you know, like 11 to 11.45. And then at 11.45, I would give myself like 50, a 15 minute break to like be on the internet and do whatever. And then right. I'd start again. And so um, then at least I felt like it was like planned procrastination. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that was, that was helpful. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's like, I, I, I know for my, for me, I do a lot of things that seem like busy work, but they mm-hmm. help me digest all the writing you've done, right? So like mm-hmm. I do like a whole bunch of administrative stuff in prep um, that is really oh, okay. just designed for me to like get the A, B, C, D, E storylines and like, let me mark this up and make this other document to keep track of this and let me take the floor plans and put them in my program. And it seems like nothing, but with each exercise I'm like getting deeper into the script so then by the time it's time to like plot and block and and think of coverage right I'm not sitting there like how will I shoot this you you know what I mean right right Um, right 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 and I'm a fan too of I like background noise Mm. like I like the tv being on Kelly is often like, how do you work with the TV on? I'm like, I, I actually, it's like company that is there and I'll look up if anything interesting comes up. But oh, if people are talking like mm. too close to me, like 
that fucks me up. And I, like, I can't, then I can't not listen to them, which is, it's just right. it's weird. No, no, I, no, I totally get that. I couldn't, if people are talking, that's, that's difficult. Or even, I can't do like the TV, but I, I have, like, I'll put on sometimes you, like a YouTube playlist while I'm writing mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and so that's sometimes helpful just to have like, usually like the energy of what I, you know, whatever I'm working on, like, you know, I'm like, I'm working on this project, Reasonable Doubt, which, you know, um, one of my favorite albums. Uh, uh, Jay-Z. <laughs> you know, Jay-Z, yeah. 1996. So that, I mean, I remember when that, that album hit and I remember hearing, you know, like feeling it and can I live and just being like, what is this? And I, I was a pretty West Coast person, you know, like, I mean, I, like, I, pretty much, you know, probably should have like a West Side hand tattooed on the back. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, you can't bust with Cali. You know, I was like, Cali's right. the best. But, you know, Jay-Z, Biggie, you know, and when I heard Jay-Z on Biggie's album right. and then, you know, later on Reasonable Doubt, it really right. was just a different vibe. And I just, I've been a Jay-Z fan, you know, since then. And a Beyonce, I'm wearing right. a shirt with a bunch of Beyonce. There you on. go. But you know what? <laughs> to your point, he was writing. Mm-hmm. And like, like the thing, the song that did it for me on that album was uh, "Regrets," where he's like mm-hmm. talking to him, and like, mm-hmm. like that's that that's crazy, you know. Yeah. And and then like the the little pivot, which is often the way like you can break an idea. It's like I'm gonna rap about all this stuff that these people are rapping about, and most of whom are lying about. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna come at it from this little pivot where I have remorse about it. Right. It was like, yeah, it was like emo a little bit, like pre-emo. Exactly. (laughs) Pre-emo. Pre-emo, emo. But then it makes what you're hearing different because there's a different connection to the crack you sold. (laughs) Right, exactly. And 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 the the jazzy kind of samples. Yeah. it It just had a different flow. It was, it was like... Anyway, so 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 I, you know, like that show, you know, I'll put on like, you know, like some outcasts or kind of like 90s, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, goody mob or even like little brother foreign exchange. Like I kind of yeah. put on like a kind of jazzier, you know, hip hop, you know, kind of flow. So. Right. So, so yeah. So, and, and then like when I was writing on Still Starcrossed, I put on the Game of Thrones soundtrack because <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> it's very uh-huh. like, you know, it was like a period and, you know, kind of. So sometimes uh, music sometimes helps. It, it depends on what stage of it I'm in. If I'm still trying to break the story or outline, I can't really mm-hmm. do it. But once I'm in the writing and I know what the scene is, then it's I feel like I'm like playing an instrument, like I'm in a flow, you know. Right. When you run your own room. <laughs> which is coming soon, I am sure. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. How are you going to do it? What's going to be different? What will be like, if you could give me three principles on how you're going mm. to run your room, what would those th- th- uh, three principles be? Um, number one is, oh, I don't know. That's so good. Um, I mean, honestly, is to just allow everyone to feel comfortable voicing their opinion. You know, I, you know, I really, I, I, I feel like now that I've been in rooms, I'm, I'm attuned to like when a lower level writer kind of mm-hmm. wants to say something or, um, you know, is uncertain, you know, mm-hmm. um, and giving, giving lower level writers room to kind of feel confident to pitch. And even like if the pitch 
you know, isn't great, but, but giving them confidence to be like, oh, well, this is, you know, right. this is a good part of this. And, you know, to encourage them to keep kind of going and, and, you know, falling on a pitch is totally okay. And just to keep, keep doing that. And it's fine. That's how you learn. Um, I also think that, uh, I definitely, diversity is very important to me in right. a room. Um, I mean, just, just so diverse where you're, it's just normalized where there's not like the token black person or the token, you know, whatever it's, it's, it's that I, I, I did, I do appreciate this idea where, you know, the black person doesn't have to speak for all the black people, you know, or mm-hmm. the Latino person doesn't have to speak for all the Latino. Like when you have the diversity, people can really just be free to be creative without having the burden of, Oh, I got to make sure that this character don't do this or blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and then I guess the other thing would be lunch, <laughs> making, <laughs> making sure that lunch is all paid for and <laughs> there's a lot of snacks and people, you know, drinks and healthy. Because honestly, there's nothing worse than, you know, not like lunch being a letdown. I'm just, if, if you're a writer, it really, you're just like, Ugh. or, you know, I've been in rooms where, you know, you don't, every day is not necessarily paid for, you know, so... Yeah, right. so those, those kind of fi- fighting for lunch, Pete. You know, no, is, look, look when I about. <laughs> when I went to Den Tai Fung on a Silicon Valley location scout, I was like, "This gonna be all right. This gonna work <laughs> right. out." Right, right. You know? like, okay, then, okay. Matter of fact, let me get that fifty foot crane since we're here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you're like, oh, I feel, I feel terrible. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, and also just, I don't believe in working late, you know, in a room, you know, I mean, obviously if you have to, for some reason, mm-hmm. but I do think, you know, when you give people lives, they right. give, they have a life to live and then they come right. back and they give that life back to you. So. Right. And any, um, I'll ask because, uh, you identified your kind of kinship with the audience, any advice you would give to young writers of color looking to break into this industry, whether film, TV, just just entertainment at all, um, as a as a wizard of words. A wizard of words, I like that. Um you know, I mean my my advice would be to create your own stuff if you can. Mm-hmm. You know, I if I had had that, you know, opportunity when I was coming up to either create, you know, like a web series or or film my own thing or write my own thing, I definitely would have, would have done it. Um, Mm. you know, it just was more difficult and required more, you know, um, and, you know, figure out what, you know, best suits you. If, if you're a writer, but you're not someone who wants to necessarily be like, you know, a writer, actor, or, you know, like, you know, Issa Rae or Lena or whatever, uh, Lena Waithe, but then that's fine. But fine, you know, find other creative people who can, who can do your work. Um, Mm -hmm you know, apply to the programs. I, st- I still think that's, you know, a good look. There are a lot yeah. of um, writing programs that will give you opportunities. Um, and, and yeah, and, and also, you know, it was helpful for me to, to be in a writer's group um, mm-hmm. with my mm-hmm. friends because it held me accountable. Uh, a lot of this, you know, when I think about the people who were in my MFA class who became writers, it, it w- is not about talent. It, mm. it, it was about who stayed here in LA, everyone who moved away or, you know, decided to take a break or go into another career for a little bit, they didn't become writers. The people who were assistants or just kept writing scripts and working, 
all of them became writers. So right. a lot of it is just, you know, time and hustle come together and, you know, something happens. And, you know, this is such a great time because there's not that many of us. So it, once you get that one thing popping, you know, even as you know, you know, right. it, yeah. it, it it just starts going. And then at one point, like you said, you're, you're wishing you can get on a show and then a year or two later, you're having to turn down stuff right. because you're too busy. Right. Um, so it is, a, it, it can be a blessing, but the blessing only really comes if you're dedicated to the hustle. That's, right. that's, uh, that's how I feel. And then what can these good people be on the lookout for from you? For me? Oh, um, well, let's see. Um, I have a few things in development. That don't mean it's going to be anywhere, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, we're hope we got our fingers crossed. Um, uh -huh. um, I have, uh, the reasonable doubt, the, the TV uh, pilot that I'm working on with Larry Wilmore and Carrie Washington. Um, and I also have, uh, a movie in development at Universal with actually your friend, Ryan Richmond, uh, that I'm working on, um, romantic comedy with Malcolm Lee's company. And then I have a project with Tiffany Haddish, uh, kind of comedy, uh, that I'm working on. So, yeah. And then, oh, and then I also still, we have, Issa and I are developing our Windsor Hills show. So, you know, hopefully that'll, that'll see the light of day one day soon. So, yeah, I'm just, like I said, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So we just, right. just keep keep working. And it, and it's full, full circle, people. You know, Ryan Richmond that Ronald mentioned shot my advanced production film at NYU, my thesis film. He That's right. Yeah. That's and so funny. one of the stars of that film was Kerry Washington. So That's right. <laughs> look at look at how it all, you know, 21 at, years later, here we are. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah overnight. exactly. Overnight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes you go, we really are like 12% of the population. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's like, exactly. There's, yeah, there's not that many of us. But, you know, you know, it, the talent rises to the top. I do believe that. And so we all end up, you know, working it, working together again. And I hope one day to work with you because I think you're very talented. Likewise. Likewise. I'm going to just, you know, I'll just keep popping up over your shoulder, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, to that's totally fine. That's totally fine. Um, but yeah, well, actually, I had a question for you because you said I could ask you a question. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, my question is, you know, as a TV director, like what what do you think the bit like when, when you get scripts, right? What mm -hmm. are the, the kind of either pitfalls or things that writers do that either oh, wow. annoy you or you know, make your job a little more difficult. Wow. Okay. 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 That's a good one. <laughs> you don't have to name names. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are the, th so there's a thing that happens sometimes and, and I have to like parse out this response and with the caveat that it's different from broadcast to cable mm -hmm. streaming. Mm -hmm. One thing that I would say, yeah, I, yeah, this is, I got I, I have an answer. I, th I okay. think the thing that happens a lot, it happens more in broadcast, which is uh, the page count means more than anything sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so what happens, and I can tell when you've shrunk the font a little bit, but like <laughs> what happens is the thing that gets extracted will be scene directions. So oh. you might get like a four page scene 
with like, it's just like they enter the living room and then three to four pages of shit happens. And right. then, you know, I'll do my job. And I'll like really work to think of like two or three different blocking options for everybody in the scene. So like we can find it, but I've also thought about it from a camera perspective. So mm-hmm. I don't get pushed into something taking forever to shoot. Uh, and most actors who work know how to avoid that. But you do that and then sometimes you start getting these really specific blocking notes and it's like, mm. I would have done that if you wrote that. Right. You know, and like maybe somewhere along the line, it, it's, I don't know, it's just little miscommunications about like things that are like super important and specific, but not on the page. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's just like, I'm here to execute on what you want and what you need. Um, but it does get a little, um, uh, uh, bumpy, I guess I'm, I'm trying to find the right metaphor adjective, but like it becomes <laughs> a little bit of a thing because what happens from my perspective is sometimes I can have, I can present this thing and then have buy-in from actors. And then someone comes down and says, we don't want to do that. Mm. And it and I could have done what you wanted from the beginning. And now it's making this moment, particularly maybe your first time on a show. It's like kind of pulling away from the idea of me looking like I get to do what I think is right. 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 Yeah. It's undermining your your authority. Right. And so and so that that's a that's a thing. And I I get it. Um, But it's kind of like. You know, uh, it's, I guess it's kind of unavoidable because you can't necessarily you don't want to get in the business of asking every scene. Is this what is this really what you want? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, right, then, right, right, right. Yeah. But that I think that would be it. Um, oh, that makes sense. You know, and sometimes um, then there can be a really uh, big, you know, it, it's. You've like opened up the the uh, psychiatry chair here, I guess. But like, <laughs> you're like, please help me. <laughs> but there's but there's also it's like it's it's like there's remnants of people's own journeys that you have to try and find. Like I, I've done a show where I think the showrunner probably had a couple scenes one on one show one day in the past mm. where it was overblocked. And their lines probably had to be cut. Right. You know what I mean? And right, so right, right. this particular showrunner was really like adamant about people like not moving, mm. <laughs> quite honestly, right? And yeah, so yeah. the style of the show was kind of designed to hide that. In mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the kind of way that it was shot and the movement of camera and, and the amount of pieces of coverage would kind of mask that people were just like planted. Mm. But there were a couple things that we presented and figured out that were really like elegant and kept it moving and kept the actors really engaged that were not going to challenge the ability to get all the lines in the cut. I see. But because of that prior probably experience, it was like, no, too much movement. And it's like, we kind of all have to know what the other's doing and identify whether or not like that thing we're each scared of is actually about to be infringed upon. 
um, right. or not. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, that, you know, I, that's, that's really interesting. I actually, um, I mean, it's interesting that some of these things, I mean, I, I guess you have tone meetings, right? That some of these things aren't kind of discussed, I guess right. maybe, I mean, I, I, I always, you know, Shonda would have these tone meetings and, and, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't go on very long, but what I always admired was that she would, you know, kind of point out basically the, the three or four scenes that were very important you know, and she would, you know, give her kind of specific feelings about, um, you know, about like why, why she wanted, you know, these, these scenes to get special attention. Um, and I think that's helpful because then, you know, some other scenes she might be like, yeah, just, you can shoot that in a one or you can like, right. this isn't, you know, this isn't a big scene. So then, you know, when you think about scheduling or you're thinking, okay, I'm not going to spend two hours on this scene that maybe we could just, not we don't have to cover every angle, you know, just kind of get it and move on so that I can really, right. you know, spend time with the performances. And that's one thing for me, we're talking about when I have my show, performances are everything to me. Like that is what I care about. I would I would shoot, you know, I would I would sacrifice coverage mm. for, you know, just getting a good performance. And what you're talking about about things written, I am I am pretty careful about if I don't have any kind of specific vision for a scene, I will just write, they walk in. And I don't have any <laughs> expectations. <laughs> and I don't have any expectations of what happens after that. But if I'm like, to your point, when you said even, you know, full circle in the beginning about the close up of, you know, the apple or whatever it is, it is it's like, I will write, like, we right. start here and then we, you know, we pull back and see this because it's like, that's what I, that is what I see and that's what I want right. to see. And I do think it's important to be specific because again, you're not going to always maybe be able to be on set. And, you know, I, I think it's important to allow each department to really be creative. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the more they feel stifled or scared, you know, about making a mistake, because you're so specific, but you're not really specific, <laughs> you right, know, right, um, right. that, you know, it's not really helpful. And I think it's like, you have to be specific when this is what you really want. And then if you don't care, really, I mean, if you're kind of open, like, well, I just want the scene to feel like this, then, you know, then let people give them an opportunity to bring something. And I, and I often feel when you do that, it really, something like interesting happens. Like I've yeah. been on set and I'm like, oh, this is, wow. Like this is so much better than I even you know, imagine yeah. it to be. That's the that's the beauty of the collaboration, you know. Like I mm -hmm. I, I had a I had a showrunner um say, and this was why how I got hired again, you know, he was mm -hmm. like, you know, you, you, you had, a couple times you had some ideas that in my mind I was like, no. But I never said <laughs> no. And then like right. he'd show me the move on the camera and I'd be like, that's a good idea. You know, and like <laughs> right, right. but like that environment is like how we have to, that's how we elevate it. You know, like it's like, yeah. it's like you do, you write a really beautiful script that you know is a blueprint, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and a Bible of sorts, right? You know, with, right. with because the Bible's interpreted, right? And then yeah, we, we all come in and it's like, can, how can each department at least offer an idea on how to enhance it, right? Right. And right. you might say, well, actually, art department in this scene, like, it's not about enhancing it with art. So, like, we'll just be in the pocket where we are. But wardrobe, mm -hmm. 
you can enhance the shit out of this if we, you know, and they present something that you didn't think about. You're like, oh, that's awesome. You know, right. like camera, this isn't for you. This one's a two shot, you know, but right. like everybody should come and say, how do we enhance it? And then fall back if they don't need to like, you know, get their all-star game dunk on, you know, and right. then we <laughs> right. just, we end up with something that is really nice at the end. And yeah. Yeah. Thought about everything. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, you, this is my, my feelings. Like you can, you can have eight, 10 hours of meetings and all this stuff. And it's always going to be the thing you didn't mm -hmm. expect. that's going to be a problem. There's always, it's going to be something and right. you have to pivot and figure it out. You know, it's going to be, you know, someone forgot a folder or whatever, you right, know, or, right, right, right. you know, or like the location, something, you know, their, their construction, they didn't mention it or whatever it is, you know? Um, and so I think, if you're, you know, kind of open to seeing how something that could be a creative problem could be, you know, something interesting. Um, right. I think it's, I think it's better uh, overall for everyone. And, and to me, I'm also like, listen, this is such a beautiful, you know, creative job to be in. And, you know, we all like make good money and we get to do what we a lot of people dream of doing. And right. so at the end of the day, for me, I'm like, there's no reason to make it, you know, horrible or complicated <laughs> or, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I remember once I had like a wardrobe person crying to me because they had the wrong, you know, costume or something. And I was like, look, no one died. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, like we have to think we have at some point you have to go like, it's, it's just a TV show. You right. know, um, that energy, but also the excitement of it is a TV show. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a it's a hard balance. But I, I do think that sanity is, you know, is important and obviously now health, too, with COVID. Um, so, you know, for, for me, that's that is it's still a business. It's still a job. And I think it's important that that's remembered as well, besides right. creativity. Well, this this has been a masterclass in getting in the mind of a writer. I appreciate you swinging through. <laughs> oh, sure. No, thank you. I was, I was so happy you asked me. Yeah, no, this is great. I, I, I really do just enjoy getting to sit down and actually talk in more detail than you probably ever really get to with folks that you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, you, you at Julie Crawford, I was like, what? <laughs> you, you dug deep. You did a deep, deep dive. So, yeah, yeah. it was great to talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll be pulling for you guys on uh, uh, whenever Emmy night is. It must be soon it, with, with COVID. Yeah, I, it's a week, a week from yeah. Sunday. It's the 20th, 20th, 21st. Ah, yeah. So by the time this 21st, airs, yeah. I will have done... Uh, an intro that might be acknowledging some wins. Let's Maybe, yeah. I mean, that would that would be awesome. But <laughs> I mean, I really, I do feel like I know it's a cliche to say, but I really do feel like it's an honor to be nominated because there's like twelve thousand television shows right. on TV. So really, right. being nominated is you know a big deal. So, and I love I loved working on the show. I love the show. So. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I get a certificate, I hear. So That's I'm good up. with that. And is anything I can show my mom to legitimize <laughs> my here's, decisions. Here's the proof. Here's the proof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> well, yeah. thanks again, Ramla. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see what you do next. All right. Thank you so much, Pete. 
What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. All right, that was Ramla Muhammad, episode 18 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Pretty crazy that we have done 18 of these. Um, Coming out of quarantine and COVID, um, this was a bit of a, man, a a safe space and a a cathartic place to head to have conversations with people that I admire um, and have worked with or uh, whose work I love. And so, uh, you know, thank you all for riding with us on this journey. This is the first one, uh, first episode for which I don't know who our guest will be next week. Uh, so I'm going to have to, in the middle of prepping All Rise and editing uh, my second of two Mythic Quest episodes, I'm going to have to scramble and get a guest. Uh, so stay tuned. I'm, I'm going to be as surprised as you when I make the intro for next week. But um, in the meantime, just want to uh, thank my team, Kelly McCreary, our announcer, Tristan Nash, our producer, Jada George, our assistant producer. Uh, Tristan is also our editor, as you know. And um, I want everybody to stay safe, stay blessed, and spread love. We'll catch you next week.